When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Thursday, December 16th, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake and here with me today is Liz Young, Head of Investments at SoFi. Hi, Liz. Welcome to Real Vision. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you because we have a lot going on and particularly late in the session here in the U.S. If we take a quick look at the market action, it was an ugly looking day for techs. We see the NASDAQ down um, you know, almost 400 points, about two and a half percent. Russell getting hit hard. The Dow was trying to stay in positive territory, really only thanks to financials, but we're not really managing it right now. VIX is up, bonds pretty steady, metals up, and interestingly, crypto down, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But, you know, um, investors really taking stock of what was a really busy week on the central bank front. Uh, today, Bank of England, ECB, um, and they're also trying to digest really the spread of the Omicron virus uh, variant. Uh, Samuel Burke has the latest from London. Maggie, the UK is facing the highest amount of COVID cases we've seen at any point in the pandemic. And even though 70% of the population is fully vaccinated, England's chief medical officer says that a post-Christmas surge in hospitalizations is now inevitable. The government had already asked people to work from home, already put back a mask mandate. So people are wondering what type of restrictions we'll see next. Businesses are starting to feel the squeeze. Restaurants and pubs had been hoping that Christmas parties would help the recovery from last year's lockdown. Well, instead, they're facing a huge wave of cancellations. Check out this tweet from celebrity chef Tom Carriage showing that in just one of his restaurants over the past six days, there have been 654 guests cancel their reservations. Now, the travel industry is already starting to feel the pinch as well. France has banned travelers from the UK from entering that country unless they have a compelling reason and even visiting relatives is not on the list of those reasons. This is all happening at the same time that prices continue to surge in the UK, inflation hitting a 10-year high of 5.1%. The Bank of England announcing Tuesday they're raising interest rates from 0.1% to 0.25%. That makes them the first major central bank to raise interest rates in the pandemic, Maggie. And I'll just add that Mexico's central bank also hiked rates while the ECB, the European Central Bank, held steady but did say that it will begin uh, exiting. Uh, Liz, what, do you, what did you make of the, the tell-off uh, sell-off rather we saw in tech today? Well, I think I would actually start with what happened yesterday after we had a rather hawkish pivot or at least confirmation of a hawkish pivot from the Federal Reserve. And then stocks rallied across the board and tech did really well yesterday, which was a curious reaction. So mm -hmm. I think actually today tech selling off 
is a little bit more of a correction from what happened yesterday. I do think today's sell-off was a little bit more dramatic than it should have been. I would have liked to see financials uh, really hold the Dow up and, and hold the S&P up as well. I do think that as we move through the end of the year, as we get into early 2022 and we start to get our arms around the idea that we're entering an environment where monetary tightening is going to take place, the market is going to have to figure out what does that mean? Who can still carry the day? And it's going to be a little bit bumpy here for a while. Yeah. And, you know, I, don't, I never like when, when you start to see that uh, selling intensify at, toward the end of the day, toward the close, too. But, you know, this this seem, we seem to be in a period where investors, I mean, it's been an extraordinary year in some of these names, right? I mean, we are coming to the end of the year. We know people are sort of, you know, looking to sort of take stock of, of the profits they made, maybe. Do you think seasonality is factoring into this? Because, I mean, especially when you look at some of the individual stocks um, that are getting hit. I mean, they, they've had, you know, for some of them, it's been a record run. Yeah. So seasonality, let's talk about that just for a minute. So all of the viewers are clear on what we mean by that. I think First of all, seasonality, we talk about at the end of the year sometimes as a Santa Claus rally. So you might look at this today and say, but things were down. Where's the seasonality in that? There's also a force that happens at the end of each year. It actually starts in September usually, and then it goes through the end of the year where people are doing things like tax loss harvesting or just kind of squaring up their tax position ahead of the, the following year. Also, if they expect there to be tax hikes coming, especially in capital gains taxes, they might accelerate some of their gains into this year. So that could certainly be happening. I think actually what's happening in a bigger way right now is that people have a ton of gains, as you pointed out, mm. in a lot of these big tech names. I think most investors have been and maybe still are overweight tech. So when they look into their portfolio and say, okay, I need to take some profit, which is a more positive way of framing selling, I need to take <laughs> some profit in these names, they're going to sell the stuff that they have the biggest profit in first, and they're going to sell the easiest stuff to sell first which yeah. usually is the biggest and most liquid names. So you're seeing a lot of those really large tech names get hit today, which is going to drag the overall index down just by sheer weight and volume of what's happening in the market. Yeah, and I you know, I I think uh, you know, over the years I think people throw throw away around that word profit taking, but in this case, I mean, we all know, we were all looking at those 401s or those retirement funds for those who own stocks and and saying, yeah, God, like, you know, is the best over. And maybe that's part of it too. That psychology that things might get dicier next year. You know, it's going to be a little harder maybe to figure out what's going on. I mean, it was kind of a one-way trade for a lot of this year this year. And and maybe people are getting a little bit more cautious about what they do. Part of that is the Fed. And part of it, I think, is what's going on with uh with COVID still. But let's talk about the Fed. You know, there was this, I laughed when I saw yesterday, everyone's like, confidence in the Fed. All we've been doing is complaining that the Fed's got it wrong. They're behind the curve. That was the worst mistake in the world to do transitory. And in one meeting, we decided that there was this great confidence in their ability to fight inflation. Um, do you think that people feel like the Fed is in control? Are, is the market getting it right? They're pricing in quite a few interest rate hikes for next year. Yeah, so there's so much to say about this. First and foremost, what I would say is I do not envy Jerome Powell at all. I think Ugh. he has a very, very difficult job. We hang on every word he says. We hang on the intonation he uses in those words. I make jokes all the time that he could be sitting at a dinner table and ask somebody to pass the salt, and people would whisper, did you hear how he said that? What do you think he meant? <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous, right? And especially to your point that in one meeting, there was a statement that came out 
he didn't even say anything that surprising yesterday. He didn't say anything outrageous at all. He actually said exactly what the market had anticipated he was going to say, and suddenly the sentiment changed. So what we want to watch, first, first I would say this. I am comfortable with them speeding up the tapering. I do think they were late on retiring the word transitory. I also think they were maybe late on starting the tapering program. So having to speed it up now, we're just we're trying to catch up a little bit. That's fine, though. I think speeding up tapering is going to have some effect on inflation fears, and it should hopefully have some effect on the yield curve come January when this speed up actually goes into effect. Now, the real question, though, is where the market is versus where the Fed thinks rates are going to be. So what you're seeing right now, actually next year through 2022, the market and the Fed are pretty close to in line. So Mm -hmm. the median Fed expectation is that there's going to be three hikes in 2022. The market is right around there too. So that doesn't bode terribly for, you know, there's not going to be this huge surprise that would happen. I think the market is pretty in line with, with what the Fed is saying they're going to do. Beyond that, it starts to be a little bit more muddy. The Fed says they're going to keep hiking into 2023 and 2024. The market thinks they're not going to get anywhere above 1.5. Now, And we know this how. We know this how. Well, you can look at um, Fed funds rate expectations, the way that the market trades, Fed funds futures, and that's how you kind of, you can surmise where the market thinks Fed funds rates will be at certain points in the future. So you look at that futures curve. Right. One thing I would point out, though, and this is why I think it could change. I know that that's where the market is right now. I think the market will move if we actually do start hiking rates in sequential fashion. So right now, the market says the Fed can't get above 1.5% in a Fed funds rate. That is no accident that the 10-year Treasury is also trading at about Mm 1.4%, because kryptonite to the market is when the Fed hikes rates above where the 10-year Treasury is trading. So I don't think that that's anything surprising. I think as the 10-year Treasury moves up in yield, you might see the market kind of come to its senses and say, okay, maybe they have to hike rates a couple more times. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah. And, and a lot of this is going to depend on what happens to growth, right? I mean, there seems to be certainly people out there who think, sounds like a good plan, but they're not sure that growth is going to be robust enough to handle that, especially as you start to go out the interest rate hikes. What is your expectation for growth? So I think growth is going to be fine. I think the bigger fear is that the Fed slams on the brakes instead of taps the brakes. Mm. So what would happen if they slammed on the brakes is that they would hurt growth, the economy would pull back, and we would actually stop the recovery from moving forward. And that's the fear that I think is still out there, and that's a lot of why I think the 10-year Treasury yield is still so depressed. Now, I also think that Jerome Powell and the Federal Reserve are going to do everything in their power to not slam on the brakes and to not completely thwart this recovery process. I think they've been clear about jobs still being an important piece. Mm -hmm. What I think might happen, though, in the first half of 2022 is that they're going to find out that the boxes that they keep saying need to be checked get checked. Yeah. And then they don't have anywhere else to go except to raise rates. So then they have to do it very slowly 
very methodically and message very clearly what the expectations are. I'd also point out, even if they do raise rates three times next year, I think it feels very dramatic right now because we've been so low for so long. But even if they did three times next year, the lower bound of that range is still below 1%. And that is very low by historical yeah, standards. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredibly low. I mean, this was unthinkable at one point that we would you know, be having this conversation where we have a Fed tightening and we're still at those super depressed levels. Yeah. One, one of the things that certainly, by the way, we have a question from Bo, and I, I think that um, was Powell too dovish. Is he too afraid of market response to take the most effective action? I think what he's asking about is, you know, how worried are they or how bound are they to the asset markets? I mean, we know in the past when you've seen real volatility, you start to see, uh, you know, stock markets get incredibly nervous about what's going on. They're sensitive to that. Right. They're sensitive not for their to mandate, it. but we know we know that they're sensitive to it. Right. Well, it's not part of their mandate, but they did start in the last couple of years issuing that financial stability report. Mm -hmm. So although it hasn't become a part of their mandate, there's not a three-pronged mandate, they do certainly watch financial conditions and they want to make sure that their policy is not upsetting financial conditions. And they want to also make sure that the policy that's in place is allowing markets to function as they should, which is part of why they came in early in 2020 and started buying in the bond market because the bond market just wasn't functioning properly. So I do think they watch the market, absolutely. I think one of the things, if, if we could give Jerome Powell what's on his Christmas list this year, I think he wants the yield curve to steepen. And <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that, and I actually wrote an article last week that said, all I want for Christmas is a steeper yield curve. But <laughs> I would imagine that he's sitting there much like I am and much like many other market participants are, scratching our heads and saying, why is it so flat? And yeah. why does it keep getting flatter? So I think that's a part of the market that the Fed will watch very closely in 2022. And if they can affect that, if they can make the curve steeper for the right reasons, meaning they send the signal that rate hikes are coming and that the economy can withstand a rate hike and that actually it would help the economy move ahead, then you might see a really healthy situation. That would be sort of a, a perfect uh, sequence of events, right? You'd have growth that stayed moving forward, slower than it was this year, but moving forward. You have corporations with strong pricing power. Yes, there's a rotation in the market, and yes, the 10-year yield would rise, but it's all happening in the face of a really strong economy, and that's something that we can take. And I said this in my piece this week, if we can't take this now, when can we take this? Yeah. And that's, I think that's the worry. I think that's the worry out there that, you know, we're still all these years removed from the financial crisis, still dealing with the fallout and still de dealing with parts of the economy and parts of the markets that, that, that don't seem that th like they're robust on their own without intervention. Layer on top of the really tough job these central bankers have is the fact that we now have this variant, which is once again, we heard Samuel talking about it. Um, you know, the cases are quickly moving higher. We know what's happening in the UK, but even here in the US, um, we have universities going all virtual again. We have Citigroup uh, just just a couple hours ago um, in New York telling New York staff, you know what, all virtual, stay home, work from home again. I mean, we really thought we were past this. Aside from it just being a total bummer for people, um, this is now this this unknown because you don't know what that's going to mean for the supply chain again. We know China as well. You know, what, they shut down a whole city. You just get that. It draws out all the supply chain issues we've had, which have muddied the water when you're trying to figure out what's happening with inflation. 
Right, especially because that was the whole thesis around inflation being transitory. It was that once the supply chains get figured out, inflation will relax, will go back down to a more normal level. Um, you're right. I, and I do think, and, and I thought this early on in Omicron, that if this virus, or I'm sorry, if this variant took us to a place where we had to go back into some level of lower economic activity, it's going to increase inflation, not decrease inflation. Mm -hmm. So what we're looking at right now is, and, and I'm in New York City, there have been some cancellations. I've seen holiday parties get canceled. We're back to wearing masks in common areas. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the stores are requiring it again, regardless of vaccination status. So there certainly is a heightened level of um, scrutiny and, and a little bit of fear that's going on. I think in the United States, there is just not willingness or appetite no. to shut back down. No. And you could try. I don't even think people would obey it. So yeah. at this point, we are slowly learning to live with this. This is not the first variant. It will not be the last. We may go through periods where we have the jitters when something new presents itself. But I think that we we are now out of that stop-start cycle, and we're just on start, although sometimes more cautious, but mm -hmm. we're not going to stop again. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And um, I'm even surprised that that there are work from home, but I think maybe because it's the end of the year, the holidays, that may be factoring into it when a lot of people are taking time off anyway, just mm -hmm. trying to see if they can front run it, those who are making that decision. But but yes, I think the issue more is what do they do elsewhere in the world? We're all we're all interconnected. I mean, we may not right. do that, but if there's a shutdown somewhere else, this is the the thing with very sensitive supply chains, you're going to see an issue. Um, we we have a question from LP touching on a little bit. We talked about har uh, tax loss harvest harvesting a moment ago, um, but um, they're bringing up, should we conclude, sh can we make a conclusion on the direction of the market considering that it's quadruple expirations FOMC week and tax loss harvesting going on. There is a lot going on, and, and expirations of futures contracts can be a little technical, but sometimes it can cause volatility in the market. Does it feel like it's a confluence of all these events? Should we not read too much on what's going on on, on any one given day? Well, you should never we read never too should, much right? into it. Yeah. I, I, I you should never read too much into that. any one given day. And honestly, even smaller than that, you should never even read too much into what the futures are doing before the market opens. It means nothing, right? You could see the futures down 200 points at 8.45 a.m. in a market that's up 400 by the end of the day. So um, you should never read too much into one single day. Yes, you're absolutely right. There is a lot going on this week. And it was a lot of stuff that either is putting technical pressure on the market uh, is putting fundamental pressure on the market because we have to try to figure out how we're going to get into a new environment, how we're going to survive in that new environment. And we're just at a point in the year where things are feeling a little bit like, oh my gosh, it's this race to the finish, right? And I think yesterday's move was exaggerated on the upside. Today's move is a little exaggerated on the downside. That said, if the Fed is going to be in this new place where accelerating taper, have a little bit more hawkish outlook, I would expect that there's going to be some down days in our future. Now, I'm not going to sit here and call for a 5 to 10% correction. I don't think that it's going to be that broad-based. I think that there's going to be a lot of divergence between sectors. I think there's going to be even divergence within sectors. Mm -hmm. And as we look into 2022, if we did this again in six months' time, we'd say, okay, the first half of 2022, I'm guessing, the first half of 2022 saw that rotation back into cyclicals, back into the so-called value stocks. Valuations matter again, and mm -hmm. stocks actually got rewarded for their fundamentals and for their earnings strength. And that's 
actually as an investor, as somebody who's classically trained as an investor, that's what we want. That's the environment we want because then we can point to the fundamentals. We can point to the valuations and say, this should have been a good opportunity. And over that six month period, it actually was a good opportunity. Yeah. Imagine that when we're looking at valuations and maybe even company management again. Um, this ties into to a conversation that was happening um, elsewhere on the platform. Um, and, and I'm going to rope cryptocurrencies into that a little bit because it's an asset class people are looking at as they sit there and try to put together their portfolio. Mike Green of Simplify spoke with Brent Donnelly, who's a senior Forex trader at HSBC, a little earlier. And they talked about the volatility we've seen, including in cryptocurrencies. Let's have a listen to what they had to say. I'm a believer in crypto as an asset class and as a technology and blockchain as a technology. But I think cyclically, you know, the way that the it's become very religious, um, it has a lot of echoes of 1999, in my opinion, um, you know, especially the Web3 stuff, which is very, very unproven and very early. If you look at the amount of um, investment and and uh, employment activity in web three versus the actual, you know, revenues, obviously there's, there's a pretty big mismatch and there's always going to be at the early stage of a, of, of a new industry. But I think at, at this moment, that mismatch is gigantic. And then you have tightening fed policy, which I think is going to be more aggressive than people think. Um, because I mean, I think it's just hard to appreciate how insane this monetary policy cycle has been. It's like the, we've just gone through the greatest monetary policy experiment in history and it's about to unwind. So, you know, if you just saw what that experiment did to risky assets, what do you think it's going to do on the other side? And that full interview airs tomorrow and is available on Essential Plus and Pro Tiers. Um, he brings up a really interesting point, um, Liz, that uh, you know, maybe we are going to go back to something that's more familiar, but we're coming out of what was an extraordinary experiment, right? That that has no playbook. We had this, you know, uh, monetary support, uh, accommodation, a lot of liquidity that fueled big rallies in risk assets. A lot of people just blindly bought the dip and really got conditioned to that sort of investing. And now we might go to something that looks a lot different. Do you worry about that? Do you worry that things look bubbly in areas? And what happens if we have a Fed that's in tightening mode? I'll tell you what I worry about. I worry about the newer investor who came into the market in March of 2020 or April of 2020 and has never seen the Fed do anything but loosen and has never seen anything but stimulative fiscal policy. Because we are now entering a period where there won't be as much stimulative fiscal policy. There will be stimulative policy, but there won't be rescue policy. And there's a very big difference between the two. So we have an infrastructure package. There's a Build Back Better plan um, that will has now moved into 2022. But um, those are very different than rescue packages. And they need to be paid for with taxes and all sorts yeah, of things. Yeah, rescue That's packages it. are canon with no questions asked. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and we take on debt in order to pay for them. Um, but I do worry about that investor, that newer investor that hasn't seen a monetary policy tightening cycle, because it's going to look different than it than it was this year and than it was in 2020. And there's actually a book, uh, I'm going to quote the title of it, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. But that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Now, I think we're in a little bit of a different time than we were in the early 2000s. People love comparing this to that tech boom, the bubble and the bust and all of the things. 
also, I would say it's very difficult to see a bubble until after it's popped. So we don't, we don't, we could all do that. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, but it's different because when you look at what was happening in the early two thousands, we were investing in ideas. We didn't have proof of concept of a lot of this stuff. We were investing in companies that were so far off the charts valuation wise, which actually is not anywhere near where we are right now. I'm sorry, the other way. They were they were so much further up than we are mm-hmm. right now. We were investing in ideas. We were investing in concepts, but we weren't sure if it was going to work out. And then we kind of sat back, crossed our fingers and said, I hope it does, right? Now look at where we are with companies like the Fang names. I know we can't call it that anymore because the F is now meta, but companies like the Fang names, I think I think it worked out, right? <laughs> I think yeah. now we know that it actually worked out. And those companies have become these new blue chip names of the American economy. So even in fearful times, I still think people are going to buy and hold those big cap tech names. It's other things under the surface. So when you look at the names that really benefited from stay at home, that were high growth technology stocks, there's probably a few industries out there that are going to go through consolidation. There's probably, uh, take the fitness industry, for example, right? The at-home fitness industry, or even the at-home video conferencing industry. There might be some consolidation that happens in those as we re-enter the world and as there's not as much new demand to be had, plus rates are rising. So to make a long story short, I do think that there's going to be pain in some parts of the market. That does not mean that the overall market has to go down. It Mm -hmm. does mean, though, that you shouldn't fall in love with your holdings. Because if you've fallen in love with your holdings and the environment changes and it's no longer a good environment for those holdings, you won't let go of them and you won't buy anything else, right? You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. This is does a time when. Crypto, does that apply to cryptocurrencies as well? Because we know there is a lot of fervent belief uh, on the part of the people who were you know, in that early adopters in that, I think it's widening the investment pool. Mm -hmm. Um, but people, people feel very emotionally attached to what's happening in that space. Do they need to think about it differently now? What's your view? Are you, are you guys tracking crypto? What's your view there? Uh, We do a lot of crypto on our platform. We offer it to our members. Um, we offer it, it, we offer a lot of different coins on the platform. Crypto is something that has grown tremendously, not just in narratives like this, um, but to new investors, to older investors alike. Mm -hmm. And it's something that when you look at what the thesis is behind crypto, I think it does have some merit, right? We're talking about decentralization, so not being victim to one central monetary policy body. We've seen now for a few years how much the Fed can affect the market in the United States, right? So I think there's some attractiveness to that. There's also this idea in an inflationary environment that it devalues the currency. So when you look at other ways to think about currency, crypto is something that comes into the forefront. I think that there's a lot of hype around it. There's a lot of enthusiasm around it. I find it a very interesting asset class. Uh, I also think that it's still pretty young in its adoption process. There's um, certainly many investors that have adopted it. 
the question that we frequently get asked that I absolutely cannot answer is how much of my portfolio should I have in crypto? Yeah, right? we get that all that question, the time, understandably. Yep, understandably, but also that question and answer is different for every single investor. I have no idea what the time horizon is, the risk tolerance, right? I talked about consolidation as well just before in certain industries. The crypto industry is probably going to go through that too at some point as it matures. That's just a natural process of an industry maturing. There's like 8,800 crypto coins out there. I can't imagine that all of them survive, right? So if you're going to invest in it, if you're going to use it, and, and to be fair, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I think, I think it's interesting to kind of dip your toe in the water and just have a little bit in because you're going to pay more attention to it and learn more about it if you're invested even a little bit. But if you're going to do that, do it with some of the ones that are a little bit more established. Or if you're going to try one of the new ones that's a little wonkier, do a very little bit because we just don't know enough yet. Do you do you forecast, you know, um, directionally where it's going? Do you look at the technicals for it? Because we have seen, you know, we we we've seen we've seen it retrace, come back up. Now it's off the highs again. People look at that very closely. Do you guys look at that? And and should we consider this a risk asset? Because some people thought it was a hedge to risk assets. Um, but would you categorize it if you're looking at it in the portfolio as a risk asset? So whenever I, I want to categorize assets, I try to think to myself, where would I take the allocation from mm -hmm. if I were going to invest in this, right? So where, if I'm looking at my portfolio, the categorization of it depends on your goal. I know that sounds like kind of a, oh, it depends. No, uh, it's true. Answer, Every, but right, on your risk, what, what you need, how old you are, right? Yes. And here's what I mean by that. If you are investing in crypto, because of inflationary pressure or because you fear devaluation of fiat currency, then you take it out of a portion of your portfolio that is most exposed to inflationary pressure. Okay. So right now I would say that's probably the bond portion of the portfolio. Okay. So bonds exposed to inflationary pressure, you might take it out of the bond piece, put a little bit in crypto as that sort of inflation hedge. That I would not consider a risk asset in that case, mm -hmm. that goal. If you are investing in crypto because you think that this is an industry that is here to stay, it's going to be uh, nothing but growth for the next, call it 5, 10, 15 years, and that there's going to be this acceleration of adoption and you intend to hold it for a long period of time, then I would call that a risk asset. You'd probably take that out of the equity portion of your portfolio and put it into some sort of crypto. So that's how I would think about the categorization of it. That, that's a great that's a great explanation and and it makes sense because you are you are taking it from someplace else when you're making these decisions on where to allocate uh, your money. So that's a fantastic way to look at it. Um, last question, a lot of people are asking, what are your favorite sectors, investments, investment themes? What do we need to be looking at uh, for 2022? A lot of people looking into next yep. year. What's top of mind for you? Yep. Um, I'll be quick about this. So well, you have time. <laughs> oh, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah sure. So I just wrote my outlook. I finished it yesterday. Um, I have four themes in that outlook. First of which is tougher competition. I don't mean necessarily competition between companies, although I do think that gets tougher too, but tougher competition with ourselves. So looking at what happened in 2020 and what happened in 2021 return wise in the markets, yeah our expectations are high, right? And we're at a point now where there's a lot of investors out there that if we don't post double digit returns, they're going to be disappointed. Yeah. So the competition is tougher, even in our own minds with what the definition of success means 
at the end of 2022. Also, we've got a period, we've talked about this ad nauseum now, a period of tightening where valuations matter and earnings are going to have tougher, tougher competition year over year, right? So earnings growth coming off of a bottom looks great, right? You shut the economy down, you don't let companies earn any money, and then you fast forward one year, their earnings look amazing compared to zero last year, right? So next year, that's not the case anymore. And you've got 2022 earnings compared to 2021 earnings, which were pretty good. So the competition there gets a little bit tougher too. So things are gonna just look maybe less impressive but this is more normal. So the earnings growth that we would expect for the S&P right now, analyst estimates are about 9.9%, something like that. I think analysts usually underestimate. So let's be safe and call it 12 to 15%. That's still pretty good. Sure I is. mean, it's not, it's not 50% like we had this yeah. year, but it's still pretty good. Well, this um, is why context matters and why yes. looking at uh, the trend and not just grabbing one number matters. Right. Um, I talked about the yield curve. That's another that's another theme. But this is where you can talk about specific sectors, right? So if the yield curve does steepen, I would what I'd like to see it do is actually the entire curve shift up and steepen. If that happens, you want to be in things like financials. Mm-hmm. You want to be in cyclicals, and it's going to put pressure on high growth stocks. That's just the fact of life, right? That's just the way the math works. So. You want to make sure that your allocations are set up to benefit for that environment. I also would think about uh, cyclicals, but not just in the sense of cyclical sectors. Um, I do like industrials. I like parts of consumer discretionary uh, materials. I, I might take a pause on just because of how much uh, inflation has already sort of affected the prices of those. But industrials, consumer discretionary, energy, I think, can still do okay in 2022. There's also cyclical size categories, and small cap is a cyclical size category. Very sensitive to economic growth. If we're in an economic expansion, small cap usually does better than large cap. Also, small cap tends to do better than large cap in inflationary environments. Mm. So I would watch small caps. Third big theme is the clean energy transition, something obviously that we've been talking about for a long time, but I think it picks up even more steam in 2022, not only because of the Build Back Better plan, which includes a ton of spending on clean energy and that transition, but because there's just a ton of enthusiasm around it for investors, right? Electric vehicles, don't just think about trying to choose the right electric vehicle maker, right? You don't have to buy just one stock and hope that that's the winner. Buy an ETF that owns a bunch of different electric vehicle makers. Plus, we've got a lot of incumbent vehicle makers that are coming out with their own electric vehicles. So you can put some of those old names in there too. And you can buy adjacent things like battery makers, chip makers that are levered to cars, that sort of theme I really like. And then lastly, we already talked about this a little bit, but currency volatility, I think, continues in 2022, especially because central banks, as we saw today, are starting to move at different speeds. Yes. So that's going to cause currency volatility, which then picks up even more adoption of crypto. If nothing else, more talking about crypto. So those are my four themes in that's 2022. That's amazing. Do you think there'll be more institutional involvement in crypto? I mean, we're seeing it already, but do you think that accelerates next year? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it still continues, right? It it, it started sort of slowly, and then you got the third player that was an insurance company, and everybody was like, okay, now it has validity. And then it really picked up on the institutional side. Um, 
The other thing I think is actually going to happen in 2022 to crypto is we're going to get more news on regulation. Yes. And that could affect some of the appetite or even ability for institutions to pick it up. So I wait and see on that. I don't know how that's going to go. I think that's part of the crypto story that's going to change in 2022. Yeah. And that's a space we're watching very closely, but I absolutely think you're right. There's going to be a lot happening on that front. That's going to dictate a lot of what happens in that space. Mm -hmm. um, Liz, I love the themes. This was a fantastic conversation. I hope you'll come back again and we can dig into some of them um, as we start in the beginning of 2022. We'd appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for thank having you me. Thank you so much, Liz Young, for us. And thank you all for watching. I'll be back tomorrow with Jim Bianco. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.